Oh, that was classic. I that is that was classic. Those are the most perfect songs for this teaching. Thank you, Janet Lee. Wow. And hello out there, everybody. And this is Sunday, January the 10th. And at our regular starting time of roughly 9.25 a.m. Mountain Time, we have begun. And uh, we are going to really get into some teachings today. You want to put on your... Uh, your golden slippers uh, and get ready to do a Holy Ghost dance because this information is a setting free type of energy. So blessed be the name of God. Now uh, we'll start off by reading the broadcast announcement uh, that we've sent out uh, because there are a lot of uh, really uh, identification aspects to some very deep probes that uh, just need to be really known by the overcomers. Here we go. There is a mental understeer of many human minds when it comes to staying en route to finding the truth and nothing but the truth. Knowing the time zone, the where, the why, and the time, and knowing the route to take the way to go, how to go, are illuminations of wisdom. The method of the Exodus escape was so refined of plan, so succinct of method, that to this day, that to this day, most top researchers in many levels of sciences, in their strain to solve the how of the Exodus escape <clears throat> are still, pardon me, <clears throat> are still floundered on disinformation. Let me read that again. Many levels of science, of the sciences, in their strain to solve the how of the Exodus escape, are still floundered on disinformation. It is amazing how much disinformation is out there, and how deeply people are into its concepts, its conspiracies, and its lies. According to Egyptian law, and by the, the Pharaoh's statutes at the time of the Exodus escape, the fleeing of the Israelites was a major illegal act, punishable by death. About a week ago, after my last teaching, I think the next day, the next early, very early morning, that I awakened, and I, I, I sit up on the edge of the bed, and suddenly just rushing into my mind, a holy ghost wind of thought, and it basically was about the legality of the Exodus escape. And I thought, the legality of the Exodus escape? Why, that is so different. That I just uh, never too much concentrated or, or thought in depth on the legal part of this 
Exodus escape as far as being one of the messages I would minister on. And by the way, today is number 11. And uh, in case anyone is wondering how far, how many will these uh, Exodus escape teachings uh, have, I am just estimating at least 25 because there is so much to cover. So the legality, well, we're going to get into it today. And believe me, we can't possibly cover the whole spectrum. Neither of the subject of the law that is described in the Bible or the, the aspect of the happenings that involved legal actions, both negative and pro, during the time of the, the Pharaoh reign when Moses was leading the children out of Israel. In a braid of divine interlace uh, of an ultra vires, U-L-T-R-A, second word, V-I-R-E-S, which means beyond powers. Other persons describe it as be beyond law. Ultra vires, I like it. It's a Latin word. God provided Moses and Israel a promise of freedom, which he acted upon and which action was confirmed and inscribed into a new covenant of laws at Mount Sinai. These laws were set to override the curse of prison and slavery. This is a message of revelation about a living probate of the will of God, brought down from God's glory and revealed right here today, and in the Bible, of course. <clears throat> All right. There are things that are just different than the way they seem sometimes. Like in Philippians 2.15, the scripture reads that you may be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation or world among whom you shine as light or as lights. God has always throughout the course of time and history spoke a message to his people that was liberating whenever there were forces and chains of darkness that came about to bind the people of God. And this was true whether or not the binding was the fault of the people, the sin of the people, or just the cruel actions of some despot uh, group of people that wanted to take charge. So the Bible says that even though we live in a world that is crooked and perverse, we can have 
an ability to negotiate our way through this world in a blameless state. This means that things that happen, things that we are collectively involved in, collectively guilty of by virtue of being a part of a nation that committed the crime or a part of a society that committed the crime, that we become bla blameless. And those actions are not, are not put against us. We're free from them. And it says that this is because God acknowledges that there are people that during their lifetimes have had to live in the midst of a crooked and perverse world. We still can shine. Sometimes we may have to be careful where we shine, when we shine, and how we shine. But we still have the freedom and the rights to do that if we are wise about it. The Bible further tells us, and by the way, that first scripture I read to you was in Philippians 2.15. The Bible further tells us in Psalm, Psalms 82.5, they know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness, and all the foundations of the earth are out of course. Psalms 82.5. These two scriptures are a perfect pair. They go together. You have the crooked and the perverse. You have the people that are involved in that on the negative side that do not know the truth. They are full of disinformation. But they not only do not know the truth, they do not want the truth if it has anything to say that is different than what their desire and intent is. And it says they walk on in darkness, and what they don't realize as to the seriousness of it and the ingrained depth of it is that all, A-L-L, -L, the foundations of the earth, are out of course. Things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. Things aren't the way of the original plan. And so it is extremely serious. And out there in that state, with things out of course, with things crooked and perverse, we have rulers <coughs> who are tyrants, despots, warlords, and they're not just they're not just rulers that are willing to share a democracy of other leaders, but they are kings that are like pharaohs and Caesars, all-powerful ruler dictators, <clears throat> hard masters, slave drivers, drivers, oppressors. Well, this title, The Exodus Escape, with this legality question, is sure on the forefront of what needs to be talked about and to uh, be understood. Now, 
I want to talk about something that most everybody in the United States and Canada and all kinds of other parts of the world know about. And that is a, a document called the American Declaration of Independence. And one of the uh, four-part description of it starts off and reads like this. When, in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws, plural, the laws of nature and nature, nature's God entitled them to separate an equal station to which the laws of nature and the uh, and of nature, uh, nature's God entitled them to uh, descend respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the, the causes which impel them to the separation. Now, I read that in my own <laughs> um, oddball way here, but it's because I'm trying to break down some aspects of what this said. And it goes on and the, the writ says, these famous words form the opening paragraph of one of the most influential documents of all human history, the American Declaration of Independence. And according to this paragraph, the American claim to independence was established upon the laws of nature and of nature's God. What did Thomas Jefferson mean by this phrase? Well, nearly all the modern historians who have written about this phrase have accused Jefferson and other signers of the Declaration of abandoning the God of the Bible and erecting a more um, a deistic uh, God of nature in his place. But this accusation is entirely false. Jefferson's reference to the laws of nature and of nature's God has a specific meaning that was well understood by 18th century Americans. I just thought that was worth connecting to this teaching today. <clears throat> because way back when, some of the founding fathers were involved in making laws for dedicating terms and dictating terms by which the people as colonies and, and settlements and societies should follow, they recognized that it wasn't just a group of laws that was all conclusive and covered everything, but there had to be a separation of laws, laws that had to do with, you know, the fundamental things that had to do with societies and, and keeping peace and keeping uh, the criminal element out. And then there had to be a recognition <coughs> that though, though, though those laws that were for society also pertained uh, to the elements of nature in which they were involved, that there was also, and it could not be denied or forfeited, the fact that there were the laws of God. 
And these had to be separated, but had to be recognized on the same footing so that as one law was put into a foundation of, of society, that it did not eradicate or make less the other law, which was a God law and a spiritual law, but nevertheless still had its effect upon the physical society. Now, we know there's all kinds of law. I mean, there's so many. I couldn't even begin to read all of them to you and try to keep everything in the time frame. But there's common law, unwritten law, law of nature, constitutional law, crown law, like crown being the pharaoh's law. There's ecclesiastical law, law of Moses and spiritual laws and doctrines. There's business law, merchant law, maritime law, that's law of the sea, corporation laws, code of laws, so that sometimes a law is broken down into divisive parts and, and there are different codes that, that refer to different aspects uh, which, which have uh, Im important um, connotation to the overall uh, working of that law. And that could be carried on to other, other parts and points. Uh, there then is a Bill of Rights that can be made, which is, is a kind of law too, uh, telling about the rights that people have as citizens, the rights that people have as, as human uh, beings, and, and uh, the rights that uh, uh, men have, that uh, women have, that children have, that teenagers have. Um, and then there are things like in the Bible where the Bible talks about that God ordained the law during the time of Moses. The angels ordained it. So there's ordained law. So it goes on. We've got uh, medical and chemistry uh, types of laws, uh, jurisprudential uh, uh, kind of laws which cover forensic. Uh, and then we've got, uh, you know, things that happen that are opposite to those laws, like the collapse of authority and violations and trespass and breach of laws and, and, and contravening of laws and disobeying and disregarding and living outside the law in a negative way. So there's, there, are, there are a maze of laws, and these laws are or can be axioms of truth that verse axioms of illusion and deceit. There's universal truth as laws of nature, and there's principles of rule, and then there's the actions of the law that produce prohibition, that say you cannot do this, you cannot do that, you cannot live a certain place, uh, drink a certain thing, eat a certain thing, uh, <clears throat> there are rules that um, are rules of force, like when a dictator uses an army to rule. And uh, so there, there are so many things. There's, uh, you know, the uh, jurisdiction uh, that comes under, um, you know, uh, what is made uh, legal uh, by the power of a dictatorship, but there's also... Uh, that uh, which is the opposite of it uh, that uh, comes about 
through the uh, application of being part of a, a membership of righteousness. And then in our introduction, we talked about the ultra uh, vires, uh, a place in spirituality, a place in God that is, you know, above some of these laws. They just they just don't apply. And th and this is where Moses was involved because he was dealing with a pharaoh that ha that at that time Egypt was the most powerful nation actually just about in the whole world and and they their 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 armies uh, were scattered abroad and uh, you could not even escape into the wilderness without bumping into them uh, they had stations and and they were involved in mining uh through throughout uh, various areas that that uh, covered uh, incredible uh, distances. Then, of course, no doubt attached to that ultra virez, virez <coughs> which is ab ab beyond powers, uh, above the law, is no doubt what is called divine law, holy law, sacred law, God's law, the law of love. Now, in Galatians 2.16, it says, By the law, no man is justified, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So, this is a strange statement in Galatians 2.16. It's saying that you can obey every facet of the law, whether it's the physical laws, the civil laws, whether it's the, the law of Moses, you can obey every part of it. But you could never use those laws, even by your obedience to them, and by heeding them, to justify your fall from heaven. To justify what you are right now as a human being and what you are not as a human being. To justify the line of genetics that's in you, that by the DNA cause you to be what you are when you don't even want to be. As Paul described it, said, there lives in me something additional, and it causes me to do things that I don't want to do. And this is the law that lives in my body, he says. But you can't ever use any of these laws to justify that that is something that goes back in time. We start getting back into the time zones. And we have to understand the connections. And that's why this message is so important and so overall involving the legality and the laws so that we understand the, the, the point of demarcation. When do these laws apply? When do they not apply? There is no doubt in the first domain, the heaven of heavens, a place of existence that laws do not abide. They, they, they do not exist. Because laws are really made for people that might have a problem of keeping the, the, the proper attitude, the proper obedience to, to, to what is uh, correct. Then Jesus was big on his teaching about rendering. And he says, you know, I do not tell you that if some dictator comes in who's got powerful armies, 
And he basically says, if you don't obey my rules and my laws, you're dead. He says, I don't tell you not to obey those laws. He said, you, you, you know, you've got to be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. So he said, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But don't ever think for one second or one split nanosecond that there will not be plenty of things that you can render unto God that belong to God, which will also be to your benefit. You just have to know how to choose. Now, there seemed to be an indefinite expression in the description about Jesus during his time of birth. And it says, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. That was in Matthew 2.1. And those kind of persons that get into the depth of studying every little facet of of the word and and even the letters and the spaces and and their Bible scholars and so forth, they had a lot of problem with something like that. They prefer to say they came from a certain town, they came from a certain city, they came from a certain distance, and those persons, their names was so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so, and here's the background of all those persons. And this indefinite expression would seem to to bend the law of proper English or proper grammatical skill. Especially someone supposedly by the name of Matthew writing and describing something as important as it's going to be a book uh, that's, that is for the, telling the world about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this indefinite expression has found some ridicule out there. But the fact of the matter is, it was meant by the Holy Spirit to be just what it was and just how it was said. Because the important thing was, there came wise men. That was, this thing was about wisdom. There came people who had wisdom. And they came from the east, the resurrection and direction, of course, to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the symbolic city of God. And not far from that, there was a description of Bethlehem, and the word Beth means house or home, Bethlehem, where a, a great, powerful king was to be born, and that king course was Jesus Christ. So sometimes God doesn't want us to get wrapped up with personalities in the legal system of genealogies because the Bible says there can be endless gene genealogies and people don't realize how powerful that statement is because they just think that means because of the vast multiplicity of the number of births. But if you apply that to you independently, that can mean that you've been around many times over a long course of time, and sometimes you don't need to know all the times you've been around and when you've been around. 
Because sometimes you were just there, like in the book of Adam, to fulfill a time when you were being used as a gourd or being used as a body to bring forth a family that would then go on to bring forth another family and another family on the genetic provision that would ultimately bring forth the, the Christ and those particular destined persons that were to live at a particular destined time. So those were just times that you don't need all the details of, except to know that there was a, a time multiply in your living that you have been used for shadows and types and gourds, and you've lived in different modes, sometimes as a man, sometimes as a, as, as a woman. And sometimes you may have only lived as a child that was alive for just a matter of a very short time, just for a purpose that was beyond what the average person could even comprehend or understand. But you went there and you lived that, always under the title and the banner of the Bible that says, that there would be a time and a chance for everybody. Everyone would get an equal time. Everyone would get an equal chance. So if you came and you lived as a child, then the Bible describes it in the book of Jeremiah, how that those children that were destroyed by Herod, how that they came back and lived again. Well, the law that is spiritual supersedes the law that is physical because the law can kill and that's what the Bible says the letter does. Get into too much of the letter. Now, I don't like this thing where it says with this indefinite expression, there came wise men that doesn't tell who they are. Yeah? Well, the letter of the law can kill. You start putting all their names and their cities, people start giving credit to those particular uh, genetic roots and to those particular people. But the credit wasn't to go to those gen genetic roots and those genetic people. The credit was to go to the, to, to the gift of wisdom. And that's what the Bible describes are the seven pillars. And these seven pillars are connected to the seven spirits of God. And when you get into that revelation, you get into the revelation that tells all the things that you need to know that you've forgotten. So the Bible says in Proverbs 9, as I quote it, wisdom has built her house. She has hewed out her seven pillars. Don't think that coming to the revelation of the seven pillars and the seven spirits of God <coughs> is simplistic that there's no labor of thought to it, <clears throat> that there's no labor of intensity of will and purpose, because the Bible says wisdom has built her house. There's a building to it. You're putting it together piece by piece. You, you may in one life put together just a certain part of it, in another life add another part, in another life add another part, but when comes around to the final reckoning and understanding, it says she has hewn. You understand what hewing out something is? Many times that's talking about a, a hard piece of stone or, or, or some very difficult to deal with, with wood. 
And you have to heal it out before you have finally formed those seven pillars and all that they represent and all that they speak of. Blessed be the name of God. There's all kinds of things in all kinds of different churches that have truth. And you have to be able to rightly divide the Word of God. To study, to show yourself a work, but not, that needs not to be ashamed. Like, for instance, the Catholics teach transubstantiation of, of the Eucharist. They teach that when you eat and take the Lord's Supper, and you eat that piece of bread and drink that little uh, vessel of wine, that it is literally transformed into a literal blood offering and flesh offering of Jesus Christ's body. And that it does this in this incredibly spiritual way. And then the Lutherans are very close to it, but they change it from transubstantiation to consubstantiation. Because they believe that the the wine and the bread are taken separately and uh, are not taken separately like the Catholics teach it in the transubstantiation. They, they, they teach that however you eat it, at what time you eat it first or second, or drink it first or second, they are nevertheless taken in an action of, of the supper, and that action then is one action, and therefore it is a consubstantiation because both of those are considered as one taking at one time. Now, bless those people for such a deep thought. Both the Catholics and the Lutherans that someone wanted to go out there and think of something deep. It, I'm not saying that what they're teaching is correct. But I'm saying that people who are trying to discover the truth, and especially when people are trying to understand that the, that the actions of God are so incredible that there is nothing like it. Nothing like it. Never has been, never will be. There's no comparison to God. And when you start getting into the 30, 60-fold, 100-fold, there's all kinds of applications that you can use and that you can consider. Moving on. Numbers 21, 18. The princes digged the well, and the nobles of the people digged it. And they did this by the direction of the lawgiver. Now here is something episodic that is telling us that the law can be something a whole lot more than a plaque of registered do's and no do's. It it has got to be it can be something that is very, very powerful especially when you begin to look and try to discover who the lawgiver is. Well, the Bible says in Psalms 67 and Psalms 108.8 that Judah is a lawgiver. But then in Isaiah 33.22, 33, it said the Lord is a lawgiver. And 
The Bible says in James 4.12, there's one lawgiver who's able to save and destroy. But that sort of indicates, okay, that is one, the ultimate fashion of it, but there are other lawgivers of ministries, and they were able, like in Moses' time, by, by using a rod to go out and find a place in the desert where to dig that otherwise they would, they, they would not have that water. And they dug and then upsprung a well, of, a spring of water. The Bible says in First Timothy that there's all kinds of people that desire to be teachers of the law. Understanding neither what they say nor where they affirm. It said the law is not made for a righteous person. And that's because a righteous person isn't going to break a law. 1 Timothy 1.19 says, Jesus was going through the cornfields on the Sabbath. They obviously were picking corn and so forth. And uh, then Jesus said in Luke 6, 1 through 5, now, I'm laying all this for foundation before I get into some of this incredible deep, stu deep stuff I want to get in. Jesus said in Luke 6, 1 and 5, you know, that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. So there, there can be a law about keeping the Sabbath, which is symbolic of something in a certain way that in a different way may not apply. And Jesus goes on to say now, David, when he and his men hungered, and they were fleeing from Saul, he went to the house of God and did eat the shoe bread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest. Priest alone. No one else has ever to eat that. But they did it, and God allowed them to do it because the situation was so um, needy and so uh, of a nature that the intent for the provision of those men and David to escape for all that they represented of the future for, for Judah and Israel and, and the plan for Israel for God was greater than that law that said only the priest should be the ones that could eat that bread. So sometimes something that has been made exclusive is not necessarily conclusive. It could be exclusive but not conclusive when something is revealed that is above that law, above that power. Now, in 1 Corinthians 6.12, Paul writes, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not obedient. Or that's not right. All things are not expedient. Thank you. All things are lawful. Now sometimes you have to pair off things. You have to pair off what is lawful and to the point that it is expedient or not expedient. So in this read, he's saying something can be lawful, 
But conflict with a particular time of expedience or a particular situation of expedience. And so there is such a thing as when a person puts a law in force and when a person does not put the law in force. Now there have been times when there was a law that if you spit, if you spat on the ground in the city walking down the, blo the block on the sidewalk, that that was against the law, you could actually be fined. But if something came loose from your mouth or you were choking on something and you just need to, to spit it out, then the expedience for the safety of your life and body was greater than the law that said you can't spit on the ground. Janet up the organ for a break.
Once again, thank you, Janet Lee. And that selection is absolutely superb. And your pre presentation is absolutely ultra virus, beyond all expectations. <laughs> okay, everybody, here we go. We're back on. So we talked about 1 Corinthians 6.12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Then in 1 Corinthians 10, pretty much along the same repeat, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. And then adds, you know, uh, all things do not edify. All things are lawful, but not all things do not edify. So now we've got this thing we deal with when we're talking about the law. When the law is given, does that law, pro does that law provide the provision of expedience? Is it in connection, alignment with expedience. If there is a law that says um, everyone stand, the general is just passing by, and someone has a heart attack and falls down to the ground, does the general give the order of of a disrespect of that law and say, go out and shoot that man that's on the ground who's got a heart attack and he can't respond. It's not expedient for him to stand up. That would definitely bring about his death. Now, I know this is all super simple, but it does make the point. And then edify. You know, does... The law edify the bill of, your Bill of Rights. Does the law edify decency? Does the law edify your belief in God? Your right to believe in God? And all the other parts of the Bill of Rights. And what does it mean if it doesn't? Well, it certainly means that you have a right to look at some kind of reconstruction of that statute as it stands because it is failing to be applicable and laws are meant to be applicable for the society. So we have to look at those things and we have to understand them. Now, even when it gets down to the serious thing about how that Jerusalem symbolically represents the city of God and Jews and Israel symbolically represent a spiritual Israel. Romans 2, 28 through 29, I won't take the time to read it, although I said down here read, so it's probably really important to read. Romans 2, 28 through 29, but it basically says there is a Jew that is a Jew in the letter of the law. And then there are the Jews that are Jews in the spirit of the law. So that we can see that while something is not pronounced or fulfilled in the letter of the law, which the Bible says the letter 
can have death in it. It can be fulfilled sometimes in the spirit of the law. Now, the interpretation of a law by the letter of the law and interpretation of a law by the spirit of the law, you can be sure, has a differentiation. And that's what we're trying to cover as we, as we get up this road of gravel and get onto some paved uh, 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 ways to go. Now, something interesting that Paul says, Romans 7, 6. I speak by permission and not of commandment. And that goes along with what I've been quoting. 2 Corinthians 3, 6. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Sometimes... There is a permission to do something that puts you in a different mode of operation, a different mode of conduct, and breeds a new rise of how you look at something, think about something, and do something. Because you have an unction within you that gives you the permission to do this thing because you are not doing it by the letter that kills, but you are doing it by the Spirit that gives life. Now, I want to, um, I will read you something here. Let's look at Isaiah 2, 2 through 4. Isaiah 2, 2 through 4. And, uh, just uh, put that into the, the frying pan here and see what uh, that will uh, provide for us. Okay, here, 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 we, here we go. Isaiah 2 through uh, second chapter 2 through 4. Okay, here it is. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. And shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. Now, whenever you have something worded the way this is worded, it's not just inferring one thing, as most people would think. Most people say, oh, this is just inferring that the mountain of the Lord is going to be on, top of, on the top of the mountain. That that's going to be the house location is on top of the mountain. But there is inferred something more. There's inferred that it's going to come to pass in the last days, there's, there's a time, that the mountain of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountain. And so what this means is that there's been a place that the mountain of the Lord has been, or that the house of the Lord, let me say, has been, that is not at the top of the mountain. And that's inferring both cases of the negative and the positive. Now, the negative is not ultimately negative, but it, it has a modification factor. It's not at the top of the mountain, but there's going to be a change. One day will come down in the, at the omega of time. 
in the last ranges of it. There's going to be a time when it's going to be established and it will be at the top. In the meanwhile, there are different levels. A 30-fold level, 60-fold level, and one day the 100-fold level will come. And then let's go on. And shall be exalted above the hills. There's a lot of religious establishment that are on hills. When Jesus took his disciples to the experience of transfiguration, the Bible says he took them to a high mountain. And it turned out to be the highest mountain that exists in the land of Israel. And so there are certain things that, are, that represent peak levels that require for that higher state. Now the Bible tells us, and I will get into this more fully just a little later, but let me just hit on it, that talks about going from faith to faith and from glory to glory. Now, people say that, and they smile, and they laugh, and they shout, and they dance, and they sing. They don't even know what they're talking about. Because when you think of, of the scripture that goes with that, you know, it, 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 it is pretty interesting to want to put that into its fullest application. Because, you know, when we say um, in Romans 1.17, from faith to faith, what exactly does that, that mean? Uh, you know, what, what does it mean when it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, from glory to glory? For instance, when we are looking about uh, that, that faith-to-faith thing, uh, we have to realize that here's what it said. It says uh, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen which would even include subatomic particles of the universe. And that's faith. Now, how do you go to another faith? How do you go from faith to faith when you've got one faith that already is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen? Well, there is a difference between having something you hope for and having something that you're working on for evidence. And that's why I tell people when people say to me, I I'm saved, I've been born again. And I say, well, that's not exactly correct. You are saved by grace, which is not the final act. It means that by faith you're saved if you endure to the end. If you don't endure to the end, then that violates it and reduces it to being, being to, so that your salvation then is revoked because you didn't endure to the end. And so when you go from faith to faith, it's from being established in a 30-fold belief and our 60-fold belief, or something in between, and moving up to that 100-fold belief, 
And, it's, and you are no longer hoping. You've gone beyond hope. You don't say anymore, well, I'm hoping this and I'm hoping that. that I hope because that's the substance. You don't hope for the substance. You have the substance. And so faith to faith is very, very important. The Bible talks about going, you know, the day will come. And this is, this is in uh, Hebrews, I think it's chapter 6. It talks about laying aside, therefore, laying aside the principalities of the, uh, 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 the principles of the foundations of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Let's go on to perfection. And one of those that it mentions in there is about the laying on of hands. It says, you know, that, that is going to be one of the things that we're not going to do anymore. So when I get this revelation that God has given me of spirit to spirit, where I can just talk over the telephone or to anybody from spirit to spirit, and, and it goes beyond that ministry that was very beautiful and very great, which had a principal aspect to it, and, but fulfills the word of God. Therefore, not laying again those, those principles of the doctrine of Christ, the laying on the hand, the baptisms, the resurrection. There's, there's, there's a point in our belief of all those things that they're just at a 30-fold level. And people are, are, are settling in and feeling comfortable. I've got this faith. I've got, I've got the, I believe in the resurrection. I, I believe in repentance. I, I believe in the laying on of hands. I, I believe in all these things. And, and those are all good. But the Bible says right there in, in that, that chapter, Hebrews 6, that then you will only continue those principles You've going to, you're going to go beyond them, and you will only continue those as God permits it. That's what it says. You won't just keep repeating second grade and third grade over and over and over again, even though everything that was taught in second grade and third grade was excellent. But you're going from faith to faith and from glory to glory. Now, what is that glory to glory thing? Well, that glory to glory thing uh, in 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. Now this is talking about a process of, of transformation, a process of, of, of the action of, of changing changing from the creature that we are to a different creature, taking on the blood and body life of Jesus Christ, transassimilating Christ into us. And that was really the greater true meaning of the Lord's Supper than, than consubstantiation or transubstantiation. But I'm not going to knock people that are on the 30-fold level. I'm not going to knock people on the 60-fold level any more than I'm going to knock a staircase and say, get rid of the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth step and just go to the seventh. There's a process that the Bible provides for people to make their transformations and uh, to make their transfigurations and their changes. And God permits that time until the fullness of time. And that is so very, very important. 
And so when it says, as I read to you, but we all with open face beholding as in a glory, or pardon me, beholding as in a glass, the glory of, of, of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory. What would be that glory to glory? Well, in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, now we see through a glass darkly. So you see, you do see, but you don't see as clearly and as advanced and as spiritual as it's possible. But you do see, but you see darkly because you're in a 30-fold revelation and a 60-fold revelation. And we're dealing with the laws, the law of spirit, the law of physical. So as you move more and more out of that physical law that has darkness in it, and you move into that law of light, then the, the being able to go from, from glory to glory is when you go from the glory uh, of, of the uh, lesser magnitude, which is the glass darkly, to the glory of the, the, the higher magnitude, which is out of the, the darkness of the glass. And it's on the mountaintop with the full magnitude and the full provision to see without interference of pollution the, the full magnitude of the stars of heaven and the meaning that they symbolize of the, of the, the angels that are the ophidims that one day fell from the heavens and are down here on earth living as human beings. Now back to our reading in chapter 2 of Isaiah. Verse 3, and many people shall go, shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Now get that thing on Jacob. We'll be talking about that. And he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion, uh, Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pinning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Now why are there religions out there who believe they are supposed to be, to be involved in warring? And it's part of their, their, their theology, part of their belief. And... and they are perfecting. You read it all the time about these nations that are, are perfecting you know, uh, mass weapons of destruction. You read about these, these acts that they are conducting of slaughters. And what is it that they have got? They have, they have created the swords of war. But the scripture says, and I've read it to you, that the time will come that there's going to be a renewal of the revelation that was the Jacob revelation. And there will go forth then the word of the Lord. And it says what will come out of this higher way of seeing through the glass, not the glass darkly, but the glass of the higher magnitudes will be the beating of those swords that were made out of religious belief, a religious opportunity 
and for religious purposes, which people thought those were the answers and those were the things they were supposed to live and to die for. But instead, when you really come into the hundredfold and you get established on the top of the mountain where, where you have gone from the, the, the sixtyfold, the thirtyfold, and those other magnitudes of which people have thought they were right, they were ready to go to war for, they are ready, ready to kill for. But when you really come into the top magnitude, the top place on the mountain, you will beat those doctrines. You will beat them and twist them out of the sword into plowshares that will feed the nations and the people that are hungry. And that is the, gl the glory to glory. And that is the faith to faith, which is so beautiful and so precious. Now, where are we headed with all this? Well, it's pretty awesome. There's no doubt about that. The Bible says in Isaiah 8:16, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. Now that's in that's not in the New Testament talking about the disciples of Jesus Christ, although it includes them. It's talking about the disciples that were destinatas that were established all the way back in the in the in the prof, uh, prophet uh, of Isaiah book, chapter eight, verse sixteen. You have to bind these things to you. When you finally come to a spot that's of a higher level to level. You have to bind your capability for it to be edifying and for it to be expedient. So that you have to be rooted and grounded in this notchian and cinch down of this higher place that you have been called to. This faith to faith and glory to glory and power to power, and freedom to freedom, and beyond to beyond. We've got to bind that up and seal it inside of us by the Holy Spirit. Matthew eleven thirteen, Jesus says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. There's a limit on the Old Testament revelation. It just went to the prophesied to John who represented Elijah. And that ends the Old Testament. Elijah coming back not to be the boss over the, uh, Jesus, the commander over Jesus, the judge over Jesus, the director of Jesus, but to be a servant to Jesus and to baptize him and to promote him and say, see, see that man coming there? That is the Lamb of God. And then you've got to go on to the next magnitudes of the New Testament. Sure, we, by permission, we go back. There's lots of wonderful things in the Old Testament. 
But we are into the New Testament. And it's very important that we notch in, cinch it down, and put our heels on a hold so that we know and everyone else knows that we aren't looking back to become a pillar of salt and we aren't going back to Egypt ever again. We have been set free and the promised land is where we plan to stay because it is where the revelation symbolically, spiritually is that is going to bring us into the city of God. Now, in St. John 10, 34, it says, Is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. Then we understood that that law was like the book of Psalms and, and, there, and some of the revelations revealed in the Old Testament. And, and it's interesting that that's put as a question. Is it not written in your law? If it's written in your law, what have you done with it? Have you kept it in the 30-fold revelation? Have you kept it in the 60-fold revelation? Don't you understand that's got to be brought up to the mountaintop, to the mountain of transfiguration? God spoke to Moses and said, you're not going to be able to go over to the promised land. Well, the, the fullness of that was quite different than what the limitation of that was. Now, Lucifer, Satan, wanted to get his body and wanted to do something figuratively and symbolically to stop the spirit of Moses being able to be freed. And wanted to keep him bound in a grave to have to fulfill a certain kind of resurrection code. And the, the, one of the head archangels of the Lord wouldn't have it. And he rebuked Lucifer Satan. And that's why Lucifer, Lucifer Satan did not win. And why Moses then, his spirit was free to go into the promised land. And on Mount Hermon, the, the Mount of Transfiguration, meet with Jesus Christ and the special disciples. One law was overridden by a spiritual law. But all the right things had to be done at the right time. And that is so very, very important. Well, Matthew eleven thirteen, all the prophets... And the law prophesied in the John. There's a lot of people that are into that. The whole, all the prophets knew that. John 10, 34. Is it not written in the law, I've said you are gods? Okay, listen to this. It explains it. 753 of Acts. Acts 753. Who have received the law by the disposition of angels, but have not kept it. These people of the Old Testament time, like the 600 and some odd thousands of, of soldiers that represented the Father uh, ministry and the Father's standards in Israel, they were stopped. They didn't get to go into the promised land. 
They received the law. They received the, the act of going and being free. And they understood how that the angels went before them so that this whole revelation and receiving of the law was by the disposition of angels who ordained it. But they nevertheless did not keep the law. The law that it describes that came down on Mount Sinai in Psalm 68, 17. So how do we find a way out? Acts 13, 39. Acts 13, 39. In Christ we are justified in all things which we could not be justified by the law of Moses. We've got the higher law, the ultra-vares, beyond powers. And we've got that law that's going to that's still be very involved with the angels, which the Bible says, and the angels will lift you up, lest you dash your feet against the stones. Now we've got the stones of the tablets of the old, of the old law that was written on, on Mount Sinai of the covenant. The laws of covenants that were connected to the statutes of Moses. And you, 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 can, you, you can bend a toe by kicking into those stones. You can think you're doing something right and you can end up dead by a law that is outdated and outmoded by the, by, by the, the new grace and laws of Jesus Christ. So he says, I'm going to cause the angels, and this was particularly spoken to Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ representing all of his people, it was also spoken to us, the angels will lift you up. Now where do you got to go to, to get where you need to be? You got to go up to the mountaintop. You got to move on up from 30 fold, 60 fold, get on up there, up up, up, get on up there. There's seven pillars. Step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Get up there. The ultra virus. The angels will lift you up, lest you dash your feet against the stones of the tablets of the laws of covenant and some of the other kinds of stones that are out there too. Paul, they had a shipwreck. He ended up on an island. A bunch of barbarians. Acts 23, Acts 28, 3. Acts 28, 3. And he was trying to do a little warming by a, 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 the fire, the fire place on the ground. And a viper comes out and fastened itself to his hand. The barbarians looked at that and said, Ah, oh, this man, although he escaped tragedy at sea and didn't drown out there, no doubt has come under judgment and this viper is, is going to end his life. And they're, they've fastened their eyes on him and he just takes and without making a big movement or any uh, screaming out loud or anything, just shakes the viper off back into the fire. And then these people that said what they did changed their mind and began to believe he, might, he must be a god. 
Romans 2.14 says that when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. This thing of permission by, that God gives, that's not of commandment, but it's a permission. It's this law unto yourself that sometimes God gives to people. Because there's all kinds of laws you've got to deal with. Like the Bible talks, and I, I mentioned it earlier, like Romans 7, 23, 25, about the law in the members of the body warring against the mind, bringing people into the captivity of sin and death to the point that, that Paul prayed out, said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will help me? To escape this. Well, I want to say that in our last, in number 10 teaching, we talked about going to the city of God and about the timetable and all those kind of things. And we, we never got to finish that. That very, very important thing. But I want to say that there are some things that are very important that I'm getting ready to, 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 to reveal to you of a great magnitude. It's top of the mountain stuff. It's about an interval, about a periphery that belongs to a foundation line that has a very important place in God. It's about bringing Joseph, the son of Jacob, again. To bring Jacob again, Isaiah 49, 5. It's about that. It, it's, it's about the city of God, a heavenly Jerusalem, city of the living God, spoken of in Hebrews 12, 22, and, and 13, 14, called Mount Zion. It's about the scripture that says no continuing city here. But there is a place of innumerable angels, of a general assembly of the firstborn, of a place for the overcoming mind, And it is part of the plan of God as spoken of in Revelations 22, 14 for the name of the city of God to be written on the people who are to be overcomers. You get that? Name of the city of God to be written on overcomers because it is the city of the firstborn, those that are born from above. It's Revelations 22, 14 of overcoming. And Revelations 3.12 and these scriptures I've given you, they all go together. You'll take the time to read them. There is a place. And we, we call that place, that city of God. And I, I want to, over the time, show you followers of the manifested teachings 
how to go to the city of God. And I want to bring you to that place of, of, of declaration. I'm going to go down. I want to bring you to a place of declaration where you come into this mind of one nation, Melchizedek. I want you to come into the one nation, Melchizedek. A state of mind and spirit joining to a dimension of spirit that is also aligned to the city of God. The Father's house. A physical manifested realization on the periphery of the interval where God gives great and wonderful revelations. Now I'll tell you this, and I want you to get it. It's so important. When Jacob was fleeing from his brother Esau, and he was weary and he was tired, and he laid down upon this stone, and he began to have a dream. And he dreamed that there was this staircase staircase and angels were coming down ascending and descending and when he woke and remembered that dream he built a little pile of pillar as a memorandum and he said this is none other but the gate to heaven and he called the place Bethel, although later it was changed for a while to another name. That's L-U-Z. But it, it became Bethel, which means house of God. Now what was this house of God? There was no building there. That was just ground. So he wasn't referring to some physical, literal building. This staircase that was coming down, revealed in the dream, was a spirit realm. And he had the understanding to, under, to know that somehow this was a spiritual vortex. That somehow there was, this was something that was called the gate to God, the gate to heaven. A place that you could go in the spirit, and he recognized it as Bethel, Beth house and El God, the house of God. And this house of God is the same as the city of God. And this was not something that was a literal physical place that was built there. It was just bare ground. He was, his head was on a, 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 just a natural rock, but this all came to him in the, the spirit of his mind. So when we read to you and talk to you and quote to you, one nation Melchizedek, a state of mind and spirit joining to a dimension of spirit that is also aligned to the city of God, the Father's house, a physical manifest realization on the periphery of an interval dimension, then we are showing you something so beautiful. And this all goes back like in Kings, 1 Kings 6-7 where they were building this house of the Lord. A symbolic thing. 
And God said, neither let there be the sound of, of the hammer or the axe or any kind of thing that is going to make noise. Now, noise is a very important thing to understand by interpretation. Lots of things out in the cosmos, lots of things out in nature, in the universe, that was just noise. They later began to understand and interpret that noise and, and see that those were incredible revelations that they just couldn't understand at the time. And the message of the hammer, the message of the axe, is noise is not to be heard. But let me tell you what part of the hammer and the axe that was heard. The noise wasn't heard, but the effect of what it did when it, when it hewed out these stones that were to exactly fit and, and hewed out the various furnishings of, the, uh, of lumber and timber that were to fit. It had an interpreted interpretation. And the interpretation was beyond the noise of the making. We have to get beyond the noise of our experiences. People speaking in tongues, and I think tongues are beautiful. But the Bible says, if you speak in tongues in the congregation and there is no interpretation, they will say you are a madman. Why? Because you're just out of sync. You are not synchronized. Because if you're going to speak in other tongues, that's not the normal tongues that people understand, you need a translator and interpretation. And so he said, it's better not to speak in tongues if you don't have an interpretation. Paul says, I speak in more tongues than all of you. <clears throat> but there are times that I don't have an interpreter, and there are times I just speak in those tongues between me and God. And, and that tongues represents a whole lot more than just the gift of tongues. It represents, because there's angel tongues, and there's all kinds of other tongues. Now, what are we getting at? We're getting at the, a, a key, a key of, of David. We're getting into some awesome things. And before I close this message, I want to say this part that goes with this, which is far out. But I believe that the day is coming as we move into these things that we are going to challenge, we are going to challenge the spirits of the spirit world. Someone says, oh, I don't, I don't think that sounds like of God. That's because you understand it as noise. And you do not have the understanding of what the, the axe sound and the hammer sound really means when it's interpreted into the product that goes and makes up the city of God. And as I, in Isaiah 14, 9, it says, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. Even all the chief ones of the earth. We see that when Lucifer is talked about in, in, in his relationship with the spirits of those that are in hell, they're affected by him coming. They are stirred up. And even the chief ones are, are stirred up. 
And we see how that the witch of, of Endor, in Samuel, First uh, uh, Samuel 27, 7 through 25, was able to bring back a great spiritual man, Samuel. And he was able to speak and to say things. And we read in 1 Peter 4, 6, where Jesus went down and he preached to those that were dead. And it says, for this cause was the gospel preached to them that are dead. And I'm hurrying here. And Roman, Romans 1, 17, yes, from faith to faith. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, from glory to glory. And 1 Corinthians 15, 29, being baptized for the dead. Well, here's what we got. We are going to be able to go forth. Regular people should not try this. People that are not sure that that's what God wants you to do should not try this. This is to be tried by, by people that are where they should be with God to do it. But I believe that just as that angel backed off Lucifer with the, with the body and spirit of Moses, that there are things that we can do in which we can bind these spirits and keep them from affecting other people on earth that they are aligned with through ancestry and so forth. And I believe that this is all part of a time zone revelation and of a revelation in which there is a legal understanding of, of the separation and the difference between the physical laws and the spiritual laws. And when we can have an epiphany and move in the spirit in ultra vires. May God bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine on you. I've run out of time. <laughs>